Well, it's a delight to be with you, man, and to talk about missions. My interest in missions began as a young boy, and I never dreamed that I'd be able to visit as many missionaries as I've been able to. Not as many as many have, but more than I ever expected. And then uh, as my pastoral ministry ended after 39 years, and I took a missions coordinator job, I increasingly wanted to know more about missions and to read about missions, biographies, and uh, good books on missions and so forth. So what I want to do tonight is to talk to you about a, um, a theology of missions. And this material comes from several different sources, but one of the main sources is a book called A Practical Theology of Missions by Eric Wright. Eric Wright is a um, Reformed Baptist man over in England, and uh, I had a missionary friend who I visited twice in France who suggested that Eric Wright's book was the best book on missions that has been written in modern times. There's another book by J.H. Bavink, The Science of Missions, which is fundamental and basic uh, for understanding missions. So what I want to do in the in the time that I have, and I don't even know how much time I have here, brother. Um, it's about uh, like 45 minutes. 45, or, okay, good. Well, we can we can cover the material in that time. Is to talk about theology of missions. Eric Wright says in his book that the whole Bible is a missionary book. Now that's quite a statement. Think about it. The whole Bible is a missionary book, and I've come to believe that. Uh, there's a lot of implications to that. Some of them I probably won't get to tonight, but I think it's important that we um, that we consider that and that I attempt to prove it uh, from the scriptures that the Bible is indeed a missionary book. But first, I want to give a definition of missions, and this definition is taken from J. H. Bobbing in his book, The Science of Missions, on pages 57 and 58. He says, "Missions is the great work of Jesus Christ." through which, after his completed work as mediator, he draws all people to his salvation and makes them to partake of the gifts which he has obtained for them. Notice that Bavik said it is the great work of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. It's not the great work of missionaries. Missionaries, of course, are sent by the church, and Christ gives missionaries as a gift to the church, but it is the great work of Jesus Christ. And uh, so I want to I want to focus on this theology of missions, a vision for modern Reformed and Baptist missions. And I want to look at three fundamental ingredients here. First of all, I want to show us that this theology of missions is rooted uh, in the theology of the Bible. That's a very general subject. Then this vision for missions originates in the Old Testament and it culminates in the New Testament. But first of all, this vision or this fundamental theology of missions is rooted in in our understanding of three great truths. It's rooted in the uh, truth of who God is, that is his attributes. Secondly, it's rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, in the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
we are triune, are we not? Mm. We believe in the triune God. Yeah. One God, three persons, and each person <clears throat> missions is rooted in the very character and the ministry and the work of each of these persons. But first of all, rooted in the very character of God. I don't. I'm not going to list all the attributes of God. I assume that most of you know the definition of the Shorter Catechism: what is God. Um, and we're not going to deal with all of his attributes, but some of them. But I think that any one of the attributes of God that we look at, uh, we can see a mission's application from those attributes. But uh, I'm going to be looking at, first of all, God as creator. Uh, then God is the God of truth, the holiness of God. God is a God of love. And then the triune God under this heading that Missions is rooted in the character of God. First of all, God is a creator. Um, why did God create the world? Why did he create man? Well, Revelation 4.11 says, <clears throat> You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. It is by the will of God that everything's been created. And if everything's been created by the will of God, that means it's been created for the glory of God. And this whole idea of God as creator and God creating everything and existing by his will has implications, I suggest, for missions. Um, God didn't have to do this. But God reached outside of himself to display his glory. He's all glorious, whether he created anything or not. But he did create. And in reaching outside of himself to create, he displays his glory. So when we preach, we preach God as the creator, the one who has created all things for his glory, a glorious creation, And he gets great glory to himself as he saves men, sinful men, and redeems them and brings them into his, his family through Jesus Christ. Uh, and, 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 of course, you, you think of what, what has to be a fundamental truth when you're preaching the gospel to men. Now, it used to be in our country we didn't have to say this. But increasingly, I suppose we do, and that is that that um, um, there is a God who created. When I grew up, everybody believed in God who created. Uh, but that's no longer true, is it? But and you remember that's what Paul taught in Acts chapter 17. Uh, he began by saying that we there there is a God who made you, and therefore you are responsible to Him. So, <clears throat> missions is is rooted in the character of God as creator. It's rooted in the character of God because he's the God of truth. A.H. Uh, Strong defines God's truth as God's being and God's knowledge eternally conform to one another. Um, Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In other words... The knowledge of God and his being are exactly the same. There's no dichotomy. Now, how does this have missionary implications? 
Well, Jesus Christ came to show and to demonstrate to men the God of truth. Remember that when he was before Pilate, he claimed to bear witness to the truth and that everyone who is of the truth listens to him. So when we preach the God, that God is truth, it means that we're preaching uh, that that has missionary applications because we're preaching Christ, because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And uh, the whole goal of missions is to bring men to Christ that they may know the truth and may know really who God is. Then um, the holiness of God. Holy, holy, holy. The cherubim cry out in Isaiah chapter 6. Lord God Almighty. And the, um, the holiness of God can be defined in several ways. Um, it is his excellence. It is his purity. It is ultimately the coalescing of all of his attributes so that they are in perfect harmony with one another. Um, so that there's no disagreement between his love and his justice because it is a holy justice, it is a holy love. And this has also missionary applications. God is preached as holy. The God of justice, the holy justice, the God of love, with a holy love. But he came to make men holy. Uh, as Paul says in Colossians <clears throat> chapter 1, I believe it is, is it not? Um, that uh, we're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. And <clears throat> we know that Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for God created us uh, unto good works, which he has foreordained that we should walk in them. And <clears throat> the Bible says, be holy even as I am holy. Jesus quoted that in the Sermon on the Mount. And so missions is declaring the holiness of God. So we can't think of the holiness of God without thinking of missions because missions is declaring who God is as the holy of God. And then, of course, the attribute of God's love. And that's obvious, isn't it? Um, How that relates to mission. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Um, Some of you have probably been reading... Uh, Sinclair Ferguson's book, The Whole Christ, and uh, The Morrow Controversy. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> Dr. Ferguson points out, I, I don't think I ever heard it put this way. He said, but sometimes we hear evangelicals saying something like this. Um, Christ died for you and therefore secured the Father's love for you. And Ferguson points out that that's exactly upside down. Because it is the Father who loved us and spared not his Son, but delivered him up for us all. It is he who spared not his Son. It is he who loved the world. It is he, as as Paul says in Romans 5.8, commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So this, this whole matter of missions starts with the love of the triune God, and especially and particularly in the New Testament, we are told that it is God the Father who loved us and sent his Son to die for us. So the character of God is love is um, 
is certainly the um, um, directly related to emissions. Do you have questions and discussion as you talk here? We do. So feel free to throw okay. those out. Okay. You. Well, I just say if you have questions or comments, since we're a small group, please feel free to. I don't have to just babble on here <laughs> for minute after minute. Um, and then in relationship to God's character, the attribute or, or the, the reality that our God is triune. Now, we're going to be talking more about that as we talk about the person of Christ and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But um, it is the Father who planned redemption. It is the Son who accomplishes redemption. Our, we're talking about God is triune and, and how that relates to missions because the Father planned redemption, the Son accomplishes redemption, and the Spirit, of course, applies redemption to sinful men. So all praise belongs to the triune God. So that, 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 that's the first little part of why I think Eric Wright is right when he says that the whole Bible is a missionary book because God is the God of truth, the God of holiness, the God of love, the creator. He reached outside of himself to show his glory. And the whole Bible demonstrates that. His glory is seen as men are redeemed. And uh, he um, has been pleased uh, to, to, to love a number of sinful men and to send his son to die for them and to send the spirit from the Father and the Son to accomplish redemption. A second truth of theology. We've looked at the character of God. Missions is expressed in the very person of Jesus Christ. Um, I want you to reflect for just a moment on how Jesus Christ identified himself. The I am's. And since we can have discussion, what, what comes to your mind? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd. How does that relate to missions? Well, the shepherd goes out and seeks the sheep. And seeks the sheep. Yeah, okay. Those that are lost. Those that are lost. I am the door. The door. How does that relate to missions? Open it. Open it. Everybody, he says in John 10, doesn't he? He says, I am the door. If any man come to me, I will, he may have life. Another one, I am the way. The way. How does that relate to missions? It's the way to salvation. The way to salvation. (laughs) Although the ways are wrong. That's right. I am the light of the world. The light of the world. How does that relate to missions? He saves those who are in darkness. He saves those who are in darkness. I am. The bread of life. How does that relate to missions? I feed the hungry. Feed the hungry, right. I am... The truth. The truth. Yeah, we've already talked about that, haven't we? That relates to missions, declaring who God is. I am the... Resurrection. The resurrection and the life. How does resurrection relate to missions? (laughs) 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 So... Yes, all of these, all of these ways. In fact, you listed everything that I have. Oh, there's one more I have listed that you haven't mentioned. He is the living water. He's the living water. And um, so the mission enterprise is woven into the very names of Jesus Christ. We can't think of Christ and his names without thinking of what we now today call 
missions. And then we know we, we know something else. Jesus Christ was sent. He was the real first gospel missionary. He was sent. Eric Wright says that some thir- that that uh, Je- that Jesus Christ being sent is mentioned 32 times in the New Testament. And and I think we have some time here. Why don't we look up some of these verses mm-hmm. and, and read them? Someone take John 9 4. We'll have several verses so we can have volunteers. John 9 4. I'll take. Okay, Marlon, right here. John 5 24. I'll take it. You got it, Steve? Okay. John 6 37. Or no, 5 37. 5 37. All right. Got it? Okay. John 6, 40 and 44. We'll put those together. Okay, brother over here. And John 7, 28 and 29. I'll take that. Okay, thank you. And let's let's read them then in that order. John 9, 4. John 9, 4. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Okay. Work the works of him who sent me. So Jesus Christ was... Who sent him? Well, we know, don't we? The Father. The Father, yeah. 524. 524. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Amen. So, believes on him who... Sent me again. Uh, 537. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, not seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. Okay. Two times there, isn't it? Oops, I read a little too far. Sorry. That's okay. That's okay. We, we, we never mind reading a little too far. The <laughs> 640 and 44. Who took that one? So 640? Yeah, John 640 and 44, I think. Okay. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which sees the Son and believes on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me, Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. So, and then John, uh, 7, 28, and 29. Then Jesus cried out in the temple, teaching and saying, You both know me and know where I am from, and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. And he sent me. So you see, the very the, the very words of our Lord indicate uh, the the... How the, the the Bible is a missionary book. Jesus is a missionary. Mm-hmm. He was sent from heaven mm-hmm. to earth to declare who God is. He reveals God, as John chapter 1 says. He exegetes him. We know God. Why? How do we know him? We know him from Christ, don't we? And, and the thought just struck me. I thought, <clears throat> if, if this 32 times in the New Testament... That Jesus says he was sent. I wonder how many times he said that in his three years of earthly ministry. Mm. More than 32, I'm sure. <laughs> More than 32. So <clears throat> we have that. Um, so the person of Christ. Jesus Christ became a man. John 1.14 um, <clears throat> tells us that. Um, 
And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Why did he become a man? It was necessary to be a missionary, wasn't it? Or a missionary, it was necessary for us to have salvation. Um, Hebrews 2.14, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him, that is the devil, who had the power of death, that is the devil. So Jesus became one of us, and he did that so he might redeem us. So his very, the incarnation has missionary implications. It is the reason the gospel can go forth. And then what did Jesus do when he was here on earth? He did miracles. But what was the main thing that is repeated over and over again? The crowds would gather and he did what? He taught them, didn't he? He preached to them. Um, He is called in John 1.1, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. In um, John 1.18, he's the one who revealed God. And he was doing this continually to the multitudes as he was teaching them so that they would know who God is. And even, um, uh, who was, was it, Philip who said, show us the Father and it's sufficient for us. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Jesus said, what? I've been so long with you. Wake up, <laughs> He who has seen me has seen the Father. And, and, and to me, that's such a great comfort. If we know Christ, we know God. Uh, we, we know God. So, um, <clears throat> he... Um, Darren, I don't know about you, though. It, I, I, I think back, and, and sometimes I go, oh, if I'd just been there, wow, these guys were idiots. And I go, no. <laughs> I'd have done the same thing. I'd have been right on that page, you know. It's like, well, no, you can't be. No matter what you do, you can't be God. Yeah. Be scrolling through, and then, you know, Jesus just confronts him so lovingly. It takes the resurrection and showing Thomas the wound. <laughs> my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. And I won't believe till I see it. He says. Well, he saw it. And. Um, Blessed yeah. are those who believe and do not see. <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. That's right. We haven't seen, but we believe. Don't we? But we know it's true. That's right. And the resurrection is coming. Uh, resurrection Sunday is just uh, a week from Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Jesus preached and taught. This too it sh- shows the mission's heart of God in reaching men with the truth, with the gospel. Jesus predicted in, in Matthew twenty-one forty-three. That Gentiles will be in his kingdom. <clears throat> he said the field is the world. Let, let's look at those passages. I think we have time. Someone read Matthew 21, 43. I got it. And then, good. Then Matthew 13. Well, we, we won't read that one. I'll, I'll, we'll, I'll, we'll all turn to it and I'll just skim it. hate to skim the Bible, but <clears throat> we're, we're looking at an overview of missions here. So um, Matthew 21, 43. 21, 43. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Okay. And that's basically an, a, a prophecy that the kingdom would be given to the Gentiles, mm-hmm. be given to all who would come to believe mm-hmm. on him. And in Matthew 13, 36-43, we have the um, parable of the weeds. And um, the kingdom of heaven is compared to a man who sowed good seed. And then there's this, these weeds that are sown. 
and we wait till the end of the age. Uh, but but indicating again that, that Gentiles will be a part of this of this kingdom. And the Great Commission, Jesus made it plain that the gospel is to go to the whole world. Mm. So we have seen that uh, missions is rooted in the very attributes of God. It's it's rooted in the in the in the person of Jesus Christ, <clears throat> and of course his work as well, <clears throat> which we'll get to later. But there's a third truth of theology, and that's missions is Holy Spirit empowered. So we've got to think of the Holy Spirit and Pentecost. Jesus told his disciples in Luke 24:49, he said, "Wait in Jerusalem till you're filled with power." They did wait. The power was given. They were refilled again in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, after they had been persecuted. And time and again, it's very clear that the Spirit of God is empowering these men to preach the gospel mm-hmm. and to reach <clears throat> Jew and Samaritans and Gentiles with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, <clears throat> th- this is so important, I believe. Um, you know, who had... On, well, let me put it this way. How many people were in that upper room? 120, right? 120. How many people had the fire on top of their head, and the, the, the tongues of fire on top of their head? 120. All of them. All of them. How many got up and preached to 3,000? <laughs> One, Peter, right? Right, right? But how many were declaring the praises of God before Peter preached? Mm. 120 of them, weren't they? They were all hearing them in their own in their own tongue. So, <clears throat> I think I think the theology of the Holy Spirit, in one sense, is all wrapped up in that what happened on the day of Pentecost. God gives gifts to all of His. New Covenant believers for service, for declaring the praises of God. He gifts a few to publicly declare to the multitudes, but all speak the praises of God. And I and I and I think that's um, very very instructive. First uh, Peter four ten and eleven. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And where do these gifts come from? They're gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're gifts of the Holy Spirit. So all these gifts bring glory to God as they're used for the great missionary enterprise. And there's really no explanation for the worldwide progress of the gospel, except for the fact that the Spirit of God was given on the day of Pentecost, and the Spirit of God is still given to God's people, and gifts are given to people, and there are some who are gifted in a special way to be able to proclaim the gospel in other cultures and, and to reach them for with the gospel for the glory of God. So that's um, that's the first point of the theology of missions. Now, second point: this vision for missions or the theology originates in the Old Testament, Genesis three fifteen. 
is where we will begin. And uh, this is such an important verse that we'll look at. Genesis 3.15. The Lord is speaking. The Lord God is speaking to the serpent. And uh, because the serpent deceived Eve and led Adam to sin. And so the Lord says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman between your offspring or your seed and her offspring, her seed. I like the word seed better because it goes through the whole Old Testament. He, that is the woman's seed, shall bruise your head and you, the serpent, shall bruise his heel, the woman's (coughs) seed, the heel of the woman's seed. Now you all know who that is. Who's the woman's seed, ultimately? Jesus. Jesus Christ. Who's the serpent's seed? Everybody who follows him. We're all, we were all his seed at one time or another before God saved us. So here is, here is the promise of missions embedded in Genesis 3.15 because there's going to be the crushing of Satan. We know as the Old Testament is, unfolds and as we come to the New Testament that that happened at the cross. At the cross... Jesus' heel was bruised, but he won the victory, as Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says. He is the one who defeated Satan. He is the one who, who redeemed his people. He is the one who, who was verified on the third day when he rose from the dead. So this, this whole vision for missions originates in, in the Old Testament, beginning with Genesis 14. Think of Noah. What a picture of salvation that is. One family saved out of all those sinful men through the ark. Um, and think of Abraham. Missions really took a giant leap forward with Abraham. I had an Old Testament prophet that put it this way. He said, think of it this way, men. God's desire, and I can use that, that terminology, God's desire was always to reach the whole world with the gospel. Now, but God in his sovereignty and in his providence, um, there was the whole race before the flood that was destroyed, but one man was saved. And then what happened after the flood? There was a tower of Babel, or Babel, and men tried to unite against God, and God scattered them in various languages. So then what God did, he picked one man, Abraham. And from that one man came the Christ. And although there was only one man and one nation that was God's covenant people, the ultimate goal is seen in Christ with the gospel then going to the world, to all the world. Uh, The world rejected, but through Christ, the world comes to hear the gospel. And there's another, there's another aspect of Old Testament scriptures that that that, that show us the um, the uh, that shows the uh, multi-ethnic purpose of missions. Turn to Deuteronomy 26, verse 19. 
26 and 19. Um, and here, um, Moses is preaching, of course, as he is in the whole book of Deuteronomy. Um, verse 16 says this, This day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rules. You shall therefore be careful to do them. Verse 17, You have declared today that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules and obey his voice. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession as he promised you and that you are to keep all his commandments and that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor high above all nations that he has made and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God as he promised. Now notice here the promise. He's going to set you high so that you are the, the, the praise and the honor of all the nations. Mm. Now, <clears throat> why would God do that? He did it so that his glory and his truth would be known by the nations, you see. Um, <clears throat> and I think Solomon understood this verse. He must have read Deuteronomy. Because when Solomon came to dedicate the temple, he said this in 1 Kings 8, 41, 42, and 43. Um, <clears throat> he said, moreover, and you can turn to that too if you want. What, I, what I verse? Uh... It's 1 Kings 8, 41. Yeah. Through 43. Moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not of your people, Israel, but has come from a far country for your name's sake, for they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays towards this temple, here in heaven, your dwelling place, and do according to all which the foreigner calls to you, that all peoples, all peoples, notice what Solomon says, all peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. That's an amazing text, man. It it's amazing when you, uh, when, you, when you think back to Deuteronomy, but what, what Moses said in Deuteronomy 26:19 that you'd be the praise and the honor of all the earth. And Solomon, as it were, takes that text and exegetes it and applies it in his prayer. Um, the Psalms have so many references to God's universal purposes. Um, uh, we, we can't read them all. I, I love Psalm 67. Bless us, O Lord. Cause your face to shine upon us so that your way may be known upon the earth. That's the great blessing. That men would worship and praise you, the psalmist says. Um, I probably preached that psalm I know over 20 times. Uh, um, and uh, it's, uh, it's a great missionary psalm. And since I'm a mission coordinator and I preach missions, I often preach that psalm. <laughs> Um, so, and, and all of these psalms speak that as well. Um, now, there is a difference between missions in the Old Testament and missions in the New Testament. In, in, in 1 Kings, what Solomon's saying is, he says they're going to hear of your name and they're going to come as they hear of your name. And they're going to pray toward this temple. What is the difference with the New Testament? Temple is replaced by Christ. Temple is replaced by Christ, and we go out. Mm. We don't expect people to come in. 
we go now many churches do expect people to come in and we pray that people will come in and we hope they will come in but really Jesus said go preach the gospel to every creature so there is that that difference um, what have I got about seven or eight more minutes brother we, Just, we're really flexible here really so, flexible yeah. okay well, 10 we'll, to 15 we'll just, let's say 10 to okay. 15 okay well we'll continue on here I'm I'm, I'm, I'm close to the end. Um, the vision and the theology of missions, of course, culminates in the New Testament. We all recognize that. But it's good to see that it's embedded in the Old Testament mm. all the way through and uh, rooted in the very theology of who our God is uh, in his attributes. <clears throat> but it culminates in the New Testament. Eric Wright says this, The New Testament in its entirety is a missionary document whose writers were missionaries communicating with missionary churches. you have a page number for that? 67. Thank you. <clears throat> page 67, and Eric writes, Practical Theology of Missions. <clears throat> and, and what I'm giving you now is basically a summary of Eric Wright. These, these are my, not my own thoughts. Not that any of these are my own thoughts, but, but uh, this especially is. The four Gospels contextualize the life of Christ. Matthew appeals to the Jews, Mark to the Romans, Luke, a complete biography of the compassion and of our Savior and, and to, of the compassion and Savior of all the world. And John with philosophical emphasis to the Greek. In other words, he's just simply point, Eric Wright's pointing out that each of the Gospels has its own particular niche to reach different types of people and showing the missionary heart of our God and reaching all kinds of people. And what is Acts? It's a history of missions. It's the best history of missions that's ever been written, <laughs> written by the Holy Spirit. Paul proclaimed, and, and ending up boldly proclaiming the gospel in Rome. Amazing. <clears throat> Peter preaching at Pentecost to the Jews, and then, of course, the Samaritans believed and and then Paul sent out by the Church of Antioch. The epistles. <clears throat> the epistles deal with the problems and the needs in missionary churches. Uh, they were churches that were planted by the Apostle Paul, or in some cases, <coughs> I, I don't know who planted the church in Colossae. Paul never visited there. We know that. Maybe Epaphras probably heard the gospel from Paul, went to Colossae. Colossae was a small little town. Uh, I like to call it a peak and plum town. It's like the town I grew up in, Steamboat Rock, Iowa. You peek around the corner, you're plum out of town. <laughs> so, <laughs> and Colossae was that way. It was, a, it was a tiny little place. And yet there was a church there. And there was a letter written to it. It was a missionary, um, missionary church. Um, and, and then John in Revelation speaks of the state of the seven missionary churches. And how the missionary enterprise will succeed with the 24 elders singing the praises of the Lamb. Can I just interrupt this question? Yes. The the aspect of a church in Colossae being started but not being certain who who was there to start it, I mean, isn't that just the very essence of missions anyway? So what that we don't know? The fact that there was a church there is just already... You know, amazing evidence that maybe the twelve didn't have anything to do with it, but those that they, mm-hmm. you know, someone got. I, I just. Well, that's very true because it was 
You know, it, it, it was like a second generation after Paul. Right. I mean, Paul Paul states very specifically he'd never met them face to face. But yet he wrote a letter to them. Yeah. He knew their problems. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and we could even back up to think about Acts chapter 8 when, it, when we were told that the persecution came and everyone was scattered except for the apostles. And what did they do? They went about proclaiming the word of God. Mm. And, and that wasn't just the, I mean, the apostles didn't go. Those were not, I, I, th- I make a strong case that those were not ordained men who went out proclaiming the word of God. They were just simply telling people of Christ. <clears throat> and, and then the word came from, um, it was Samaria, wasn't it? And so they went to check in Samaria. So, so, so the spirit of God, the point is, we, we all of God's people hate gifts. There are some of the gift of pastoring and preaching and of missionaries, but everyone can have Christ on their lips and speak of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's right. Those to whom they go. So think about the early church. They had no power. They had no money. They had no buildings. But they wait for the Holy Spirit. And then they went. And the result was revival, power, and growth. In 24 years, Paul could say that all the way from Jerusalem to Illyricum, the gospel had gone and there was no place left for him to evangelize in that vast region. And all this happened in the midst of persecution. And just to have some idea as to the extent of this, and Paul's day, I have a map. Here's Jerusalem. I wish it were a bigger one. But down here is Jerusalem, and up here is Illyricum. And this whole area, he says, I, I, I don't have any place to go anymore. The gospel has penetrated every single city, every single area. He didn't mean that every single person heard of Jesus, although they may have. And um, that, that, that the gospel had gone there. And and um, so he says, I guess I'll go to Spain. Yeah. <clears throat> and I guess he made it to Spain. We, we, we know he made it to Rome. Do we know whether he did it? I think he did. He said he was hoping to, but he didn't always get everything he hoped for. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so that happened. Um, so, uh, th- this is this is what I see as a as a biblical vision for missions and theology of missions, that rooted in the very character of God, in the person of Christ, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, uh, originating in the Old Testament, culminating in the New Testament. So that um, we we need to think missions. I um. I took, in seminary, I took um, every course I possibly could on missions. Uh, we had a man who was a professor who had been a missionary, and um, I took, but there were only maybe, I think maybe three courses, in, specifically in missions. Um, and I, have, I, I haven't done this recently, but I've searched the catalogs of um, seminaries, and I find so very little on missions. And then I read Eric Wright, and he says, the whole Bible's a missionary club. Um, so um, we, we need to be thinking in terms of the gospel and the proclamation of the gospel. We call that missions today. I think that's a good appropriate name. Um, and, um, and, 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 and understanding as the people of God that, that missions needs to be the heart of the church and, and, and the heart and, and the desire of the church to see the gospel spread at home and abroad. That's.